Appreciate your presence for our class this morning. We're looking at Matthew uh, chapter 3. There are some books on the tables in the back if you want to grab one. It's not required. If you've got your Bible, we'll draw a Bible. We're in good shape. But um, we are going to look at some questions out of those workbooks. So. All right, so Matthew chapter 3, we're down to really the last couple of verses of that chapter. Before we get started this morning, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you and praise you for this wonderful day you've given us, Father. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word and study it and, and learn from you, Father. We ask that you would lead and guide us in the study. Teach us what you want us to know, Father. Help us to be the Christians you want us to be. Help us to lead the lives we should lead for you, Father. That we would be doing your will on this earth, Father. We we pray for all those who are sick and unable to be here with us. And we, we pray for our leaders, Father, the leaders of this world, that you would lead and guide them so that your will would be done on this earth, Father. And again, lead and guide us every day, Father. Help us to live the lives we should live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at... The last couple of verses here in Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. And this is when Jesus is being baptized. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then we had gotten through most of the questions here. Let's see, maybe, maybe all of the workbook questions, but I have some additional things I wanted us to mention here about the, the Holy Spirit. This is, uh, the Holy Spirit is anointing and sealing Jesus as God's own Son and the Messiah. That's something we had mentioned at the very end last week. So, just have a, a question. Is this also an example for us? No. Why not? Well, I mean, probably a couple more reasons. Um, you're saying that, that when, we're, when we're baptized, that the Holy Spirit would light upon us? We do receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 38. Are you saying that when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? We don't get... We don't get the special effects. So let me let me ask you this. Okay. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? What is that? We receive the Holy Spirit. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. I disagree with that 100%. We're okay. <laughs> if you'll notice here in Second uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter one, verses twenty-one and twenty-two. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I think when you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38, look at verse 38 and wonder what is the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, I, I think it's eternal life. Well, and if I, I give you a gift of a shirt, what am I giving you? If I give you the gift of a hat, what am I giving you? If I give you the gift of anything, what am I giving you? I'm giving you that as a gift, right? 
I'm not trying to be smart with you. I'm just yeah. saying. Oh, yeah. That's what it says. Do you have something, Matt? Well, there's other passages that talk about how we're being built up as living stones in the temple of God and how uh, our bodies are the temple of the Spirit. And I think it's, I believe it's our bodies collectively, the church. Well, yeah. it says that we are built yeah. up as yeah. stones, yeah. That's true. I think we get hung up on, and maybe this is where Dave's coming from, there's so many who who teach that today we have uh, the miraculous powers of the Holy Spirit. And, and so as soon as you say that, there's all this baggage that comes with it. I understand. Yeah. People have perverted people have perverted the gospel, especially regarding the Holy Spirit. And I understand that. The Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. <clears throat> says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes. And I think when he, when he talks about the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's what he's talking about. It's not some... I mean, the Holy Spirit, in one sense, the Holy Spirit revealed the Word of God to the apostles so that we can yes. read it. I mean, that's that's a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? That we can, we can know God's will. Yeah, but, but this is not... I'm not talking about the gifts of the Spirit. That's a different thing. And we know those were what they were back then, and they've passed away. Yes, Pat? I think myself, I would say the gift of the Holy Spirit is uh, having him uh, bring to mind things that are important that we have overlooked. And right. many times, and we go back and read again, and that gift is revealing it to us because our eyes were not open the first time. It's like we're reading it. Right. The Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us in our study of the like Bible, Paul, right? Like Paul the Holy Spirit, and uh, he said that he would even hear our groanings when we can't uh, speak in our prayers that we want to say. Right. And if you remember, we had a slide on prophecy fulfilled from Isaiah. Let's see. Maybe I can find that real fast here. No, it's from Ezekiel. I'm sorry. Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now, this was a promise from God, even back in the Old Testament, that this was going to happen. This was coming. And what the Holy Spirit does, or, yeah, go ahead, Eddie. I'm no, sorry. You go ahead and no, go ahead. I was just going to say, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's given us as a so if God recognizes us, it's simpler as I can. God recognizes yep. us as his children because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us and we don't know how to pray. He guides us in the Word. I mean, he has many jobs. Right, but that's that's what I'm speaking about too. Yeah, right. he has many jobs, but it's no miraculous thing like it was about him. Right, it's not miraculous gifts of the Holy no. Spirit, right? It's... The Holy Spirit, though, still leads us and guides us, reminds us of what we've studied and read, and leads us and guides us in God's Word. And as Pat was saying, you know, sometimes you'll read the same verse a hundred times, and then one day you read it 101, and it means something more to you. You, you understand it better. And I, I, I believe the Holy Spirit with helps with I that. totally disagree with that. That's okay. Totally Dan? The Holy Spirit has more than one facet. He has different functions and he helps you out and he guides you and he gives you knowledge and everything that he tells you in the Bible, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's not just one pastor. There, there's nothing said. If you do a study of this, 
There's nothing said in the Bible that the Holy Spirit does that the Word does not also do. If you make us get into this and study this, you'll see that the Word of God does the same things that the Bible says the Holy Spirit does. Because they work together. And, and the Holy Spirit revealed the Word of God. And what I'm saying is you got to be careful about going beyond what the Bible says about Well, I, I'm not going beyond what the Bible says, but the, but the Bible does say God says he's going to put his Spirit in his people, and then Jesus, Jesus sets the example for us. We have to understand that, first of all. And then when we get to where we're baptized, we do receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does help us. He's the comforter that Jesus promised. He's all these things. And yes, it does work in tandem with the Word. If you're not in the Bible, what good is it to you? Because the Bible's where we have, that's our starting point. We have to be studying the Bible, yes. A lot of those things get blurred together. I mean, for instance, John 1, the very beginning of the Gospel. John, the beginning was the Word and the Word with God. We read through John chapter 1, we realize that, that the Word is referring to Jesus. And of course, we're making a distinction, of course. You know, we have our revealed Bibles. But that's also describing Jesus. And so some of this really gets uh, wrapped up. Right. And, and the Spirit was in creation, too. I mean, if you remember, all of them were there. And just like at Jesus' baptism, everyone is there. We mentioned that last week as well. But like Paul is saying here, you know, we have the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We are, you know, anointed by God with the Spirit, and we are sealed as His people. And we see that being an important thing when we get over into Revelation. His people are sealed with the Spirit. The, uh, the Holy Spirit helps soften our hearts, helping us to be able to change because, again, we're supposed to be changing as Christians. If we're not studying our Bible and changing and growing to be more like the Lord, then are we really being a Christian? How does that work? How does that work? That works that's in our point I'm trying to make. It's, it's, that, that's, that works the spirit, through, our, through our study of the Word. That's yeah, the Spirit and the Bible, the Spirit and the Word together. Yes, work that out. Yes. I mean, we have to be willing participants, right? We have to be making the effort. Yeah. But the uh, the Spirit in the Bible, when you read and understand, that should be changing our hearts. That should be changing us to be more like the Lord. Yes. If we're hungry and thirsting for His ways, and we're spending time in His Word, and praying and asking Him to lead and guide us, part of that that happens through the Word and the Spirit is that transformation. Right, that's that transformation over time that, that we we do through the Spirit and the Word. Um, if we're hungering and thirsting for God's Word, is what she was talking about, then we will, you know, we will be studying and changing and growing. So, um, let's see. Helps us to learn God's Word, the, His wisdom, so that we can follow the Lord. And remember, it also says that He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, right? He gives us power in our lives, brings peace and settles our hearts and our mind. Again, this is the spirit and the word together, right? And while we do represent the spirit, you know, as a dove for the peace that he brings, he's also associated with wind and power, the spirit of God. And he is a spirit of power in our lives, 
that helps us and enables us to follow the Lord. First, the way it kind of works is the first you have knowledge from God, right? But then you also need that power to act on that knowledge. And he helps us in those ways. And I had a note here, though we mentioned it already, but remember the Spirit is connected to creation, and he helps us to recreate our hearts in a spiritual sense. helps us to bring order to our chaotic and sinful lives. So does anybody have anything else on that? Yes, ma'am. Uh, what's your... Mentioned about the creation, Second Corinthians five seventeen says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation." Of course, we we know we're in Christ. We're baptized into Christ. Yeah. Right? We're buried in baptism. But if anyone is uh, in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and you know, new things have come. I think that is a um, making us think of the creation, right? And it's a new creation. Yeah, it was work as a new creation, and that kind of brings that back to mind. And you can look back at Genesis and see that he was there. Um, hovering over the waters at one point. And if you look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5, um, if I can get the glare off my phone, sorry. Um, not by works of righteousness, righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is involved in that renewing of our hearts, that Recreation of our hearts. Okay. All right. So we look at verse 17. Is God well pleased when we are baptized? Simple question, but just something to think about. Because I'm looking at this as an example of how this relates to us, right, Matt? Well, certainly. I, he's well pleased when we obey to him in obedient faith. Uh, I guess it's a little different. It strikes me that. And I know this is the point you're making, but Jesus was the one. Right? Oh, yeah. And that's what he's saying. I'm not here. saying that we're yeah. on par with Jesus. But that's not what I mean. Yeah, he's also pleased with us. We obey. But when we obey and, and submit to God's will, which, again, Jesus is setting that example. We are obeying and submitting to God's will when we're going to be baptized. He was doing that to fulfill all righteousness. And that's what we should be doing as well. And if you remember the parables of the lost things from Luke chapter 15, I'm not going to go through all of that, but there's joy in heaven and joy in the presence of the angels of God when a lost person comes to God. So he is pleased. I know it's not the same. I was not trying to make that point. So. Yeah, I think if you look at this in its context, you know, even, even John, who was baptizing Jesus, he said, you know, he says, I need to be baptized by you. Yes. You know, and this baptism that John was doing was not a baptism for the remission of sins because Christ did not die yet. Right. It was right. for repentance. So it's, you know, I think there's some things to learn out of here, but you got to be careful about, you know, you got to look at it in its context. Right, right. And we, we talked about that stuff last week. Yes, man. I think I brought this up a couple weeks ago. It's a little bit of a monkey wrench. In Mark 1, 4... Mark's uh, talking about John's baptism. He says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A bit of an interesting point. Yeah, now it does say, yeah, it does say that 
preaching a baptism of repentance. This is in Mark 1, 4. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now we know that through the sacrifices they made at the temple and such that they had some forgiveness for sins. Not as good. It's just nothing they could do until Jesus had been died had died and resurrected, nothing they did could be as good as that remission we get from Jesus. The Hebrew writer said it was a reminder of sin. It wasn't a, it had nothing to know, there was no forgiveness attached to it. It was a reminder of sin. I believe that's in Hebrews chapter 9, but I'd have to look that up real quick. Okay. Just study that. Okay, so you're talking about what, what, or specifically are you the sacrifices? The sacrifices. So you're saying the sacrifices were they, a reminder. They were a reminder. They didn't. They did not. That's why when Je- the Hebrew writer also talks about how, how the sacrifice of Jesus was a propitiation. It was a payment, a thing that satisfied some sort of requirement. Well, the thing is, I mean, if we go back to the old law and what they were told to do, and the reason they were told to do it, that was for that. They had to do it a lot. They had to do it often. But it was a forgiveness of sins. It yes. was not a forgiveness of sins. It was not looking at you. Let's go over Hebrews. Well, but Leviticus 4.20, I think, is the first point. Yeah. He shall yeah. do with the bull just as he did with the bull. The bull offering shall do so. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. So explicitly right. says that. It says that they will be forgiven. It's, but, it's but I mean, Dave's point is the writer of Hebrews makes the point that Jesus saves to the uttermost and all of these things which were Reminders, because they right. every year. It wasn't it? Wasn't like Christ's sacrifice, right? And and Christ's sacrifice forgives those under the first covenant and and today. Yeah. Christ's sacrifice is eternal, forever. It's once one and done. Whereas all those others had to be done over and over and over. And God raised up once and for all. Yes. Christ died. Christ died once and for all. Because he mentions otherwise, Christ would have to re-sacrifice himself over and over and over and over. When we share the Lord's Supper, we're not having Jesus being killed again. Right. This is where remember. Hebrews chapter 10, it says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. It's not possible. Right, not in the same way that Jesus says. In light of that, you know. Right. But, but if you look back on the Old Covenant, it does say that they were doing that for their forgiveness, though. And God did forgive and have people that, you know, like Job was considered righteous and he made those sacrifices. And we're not saying any of those people were perfect. Abraham and all of them made mistakes, but they made these sacrifices for forgiveness and God forgave them. Yes, Pam? Didn't Ananias and Sapphira come across someone that had the baptism of John? Well, that was Paul, and I forget the uh, I forget the chapter we talked about that. But Paul ran into some guys, and this is an ass. I don't remember the chapter twelve or something. He ran into some guys who had been under John's baptism, but then they, when he told them about Christ, then they were baptized into Christ. I was at eighteen. See, I couldn't remember the chapter. I said I couldn't. So. We, uh, I think I, I think I may have mentioned that at one point, but it was Priscilla and Aquila that talked to him. And I said, they were bad. <laughs> oh, okay. Priscilla and Aquila were good. Let me see. If I, oh, was it Priscilla and Aquila? Yeah. Verse 26. 
So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when it, okay, yeah, you're okay, so you're talking about this instance. That's different than what I was talking about. So this is Apollos, right? And then uh, Aquila and Priscilla taught him about Christ and taught him the, the better baptism. And I was thinking of something else where Paul ran into some guys yeah, similar to this. Several men that had been baptized into, uh, into John's baptism. baptism. Yeah, and so that actually you have more than one example, which is great. Um, I just wasn't thinking of that example. Oh, that was it then. Okay, so I'm just in the wrong place. Yeah, and this is Paul. Yeah, right. Yeah, because he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Yeah, so that's in, I'm sorry, that's in Acts chapter 19. And that was the example I was thinking of. But in 18, we did have the other example with Paul. So just showing the difference in those two baptisms. Does anybody have anything else on chapter 3 before we start into chapter 4? <laughs> yes? We just need to be reminded that the purpose of John's uh, baptism was to prepare hearts and prepare the way for Jesus. Yes. And what he was coming <laughs> to bring this new and better covenant. Yeah, we have to remember John's purpose was to prepare the way, to prepare hearts and minds for the coming of the Messiah. That was the whole point. That's why he was pointing everybody to the one who was to come. And that's why he was saying, I'm not the Messiah. He definitely, clearly made that abundantly clear. And the point of repenting and humbling themselves mm -hmm. so that they were in the right frame of mind and had the right heart to receive Jesus' teaching. Yeah, being re repentant and humbling and being obedient to God to bring them, get them ready for Jesus to come on the scene and teach, right? Okay. So let's look at Matthew chapter 4. Now this chapter focuses on the temptation of Jesus in the first part and then the beginning of his ministry. Uh, those points, let's see, the temptation of Jesus is really focused on in the first 11 verses, 1 through 11. And then in 12 through 25, the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministry. So let's read the first 11 verses here. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. I forgot to move my slide forward. Sorry about that. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. 
Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So, I want us to look at something here, and it's a little odd on the map. When it says Jesus in the wilderness wilderness of Judea, I was kind of thinking it could be anywhere in this area, right? But you notice the Bible doesn't say the wilderness of Judea. It says the wilderness. So really, anywhere you might consider wilderness would be a possibility. Some people say he was over near Jericho, which I think it's in that area. Anyway, and that doesn't seem very much like wilderness to me. That would be almost more like a suburb or something. But but here, there's this whole big area, if it actually was the wilderness of Judea, there's this whole big area where there's really nothing out there. But there's other places it could be. Because it doesn't really say the wilderness of Judea. From what I could find in the Gospels, it just says the wilderness. Could be very nearby the wilderness. So... A lot of places would actually, you know, be possible. Yes. From what I understand, you don't have to go far outside of any town over there. And it's, and it's wilderness, yeah. <laughs> so that would be a point, too, and I thought about that, you know. But, you know, so anywhere outside of town could possibly be considered wilderness. But, but a lot of towns, I think, too, had some pasture lands around, so maybe it'd be a little further out at least. But nonetheless... He was in the wilderness, and that was just my first thought, and I I drew that out, and then I was like, well, but it doesn't really say that, so just wanted to make a mention of that. So verse 1, notice that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, it says immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. So in either case, whether the Spirit led him or drove him, urged him, compelled him, whatever you want to say, why would that be? To be tempted, right? He had to be tested. And that brings us to the meaning of the word tempted. The word used there actually means to be tested or tried. And it relates to uh, self-examination. And the same word is used in verse 3, for the tempter. It's the same form, or the same word, maybe a different form. But temptation, the way we look at it, we always look at temptation as being negative, right? But the word here really means to be tested, to prove and and examine yourself. So that is what Jesus was doing. He needed to pass this test. So then we have to ask, why do we think Jesus needed to be tested. Yes. Well, the whole deal with him coming to earth is to be our perfect sacrifice and to utterly take away sins. And so he needs to show that he is that perfect sacrifice by enduring temptation, but without sin. Right. So Jesus needed to show that he was that perfect sacrifice by having temptation, just like we have been, having that temptation, but to live perfectly without falling, without making that mistake, right? Do you think Jesus could have sinned? Could have? That's a, that's He's a God. Word. He could have done anything, but he did not. But he could have. 
He could have done anything he wanted to. I think I, I, I don't. I don't. If he was the son of God, he couldn't have said, right? Because it wouldn't be in the nature of God. Well, it wouldn't be in his nature to, because so in a way, but but I mean, I always think of God as He can do anything, of course, but it wouldn't be in His nature to do it at all, I right? Think, I, I think that's a that's a that's a deep thing you can spend a lot of time thinking about. But, um, certainly, if he would have sinned, he wouldn't be God's son. That's for sure. Right, right. He wouldn't be God's son. Yes, it's kind of the question is kind of a paradox, yes. But I think if we if we completely go on one side of that question, well, well, Jesus couldn't have sinned anyway, and so this was all just a, a silly show, and it wasn't even anything. We kind of missed the point that these temptations are focused at his areas of potential desire. You know, hey, you didn't want to be killed maybe on the cross, so here's another way to get out of it. You know, hey, you're hungry because yes, you know, you've been not eating for so long, so food would actually you know relate to him, but obviously. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. Right. There's a lot of these temptations relating to human what uh, frailties. What did you say? Desires. Yeah, human desires, human frailties, and weaknesses. Yes. Hebrews four and verse fifteen tells us that Jesus was tempted in all points. Right. Jesus was tempted in all points, just as we we were. And I think I have that as we go down here. So. What I was thinking of here, too, was because of Adam's sin, Jesus had to pass the test that Adam failed. He had to be tempted. He had to do that. And, of course, you know, that's part of the redemption story. And Satan is going to use the same tricks on Jesus that he used on Adam and Eve. The pride of life. All the same, all the same things are going to come up again, right? So I did want to ask you one thing about... Uh, you notice, let me go back here. Okay, you notice here, verse 2, he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. So any significance to 40 days and 40 nights? Yes, man. Well, in addition to thinking about Adam and Eve's failing in the garden, these same kind of sins, there's also the, the 40 years in the wilderness that Israelites yep. failed in the wilderness to actually honor God. So Jesus proves all of that, puts all that on his head. He shows that he's the perfect Israelite. Right. Jesus shows that he is the perfect Israelite and that he, he actually fulfilled the law totally and completely, right? I mean, he really did everything. These were all the things, this is not everything, all the things that I found easily regarding like 40 days or 40 days and 40 nights. You can look the flood. You can look at the law. Moses was inside the cloud on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Um, exploring the promised land, they went and explored for 40 days and they came back. You know, Goliath, he presented himself for 40 days to the Israelites. Elijah flees from Jezebel. You know, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. I'm trying to get through these, but you can you can look all these up. Jonah's warning to Nineveh when he, when he finally got there, right? I mean, he went through a journey, but when he finally got there, um, yeah, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's, that's what he was telling him. And then, of course, the temptation of Jesus. And then after the resurrection, he's with them 40 days again. So just some quick things to think about. 40 seems to be a, a good number. So...
Let's see. Um, another thing to think about, how hungry would we be after 40 days of nights of fasting? I can't get through eight hours. I mean, you know, I'm hungry all the time. <laughs> and Kim makes fun of me because I am hungry all the time. I'm eating all the time if I let myself. So just think about that and how much of a temptation that would create for you, you know. So first thing I want to do is I want to answer the workbook questions and then look at each of these temptations in more detail. So just the workbook questions quickly. Next um, time we go. Okay. So if we look at question number two, with what three temptations did Satan challenge Jesus? The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of flesh. Well, the pride of life, the lust, no, say that again. Lust of the eyes, and the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. Same trick he used with um, Eve. Right, same tricks, right? Same tricks. So what the guys call it, I've heard of preacher call that the devil's toolbox. Okay, okay, the devil's toolbox. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. That was relating to his hunger and everything. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple, was the idea. And all these things, showing him, remember, showing him all the kingdoms of the world, I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So that's the, the brief answers. Now, question number three how did Jesus respond to each of these temptations? With the scripture, right? He says, it's with the word, blah, blah. With the word of God, it is written, right? That's how he responded to each one of these. Now, now the devil used scripture too. Now, what's yes, the difference? Yes, he does. What's the difference? Well, yeah, the devil is, is deceitful and he twists the scripture and he uses it in selfish purposes. You know what I mean? So, he doesn't use it correctly. He wants to he will try to use scripture to throw you off, right? So, yes. It says that Satan is cunning. He's the father of lies. He knows the truth. He takes it and twists it. He uses it as a tool and deceives us in a negative right. way. He twists it all up. Right. He, he uses it. He twists it up and uses it in a negative way against us, right? So if we look at that first temptation for just a few minutes here, Look at the first one. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, Dave's already said in the way, but what, what is this temptation, if you look at specifics of it, what, why should Jesus not make bread for himself? Yes, Rachel. Jesus' miracles never had anything to do with pleasing himself. They yeah. were always to give glory to the Father. Right. right. Jesus' miracles were not selfish. He was not to use his power selfishly or to do for himself, right? A lot of times our first thought is for ourselves, right? And he's given us another example that should not be our first thought. Our first thought should not be, well, me, 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 you know? And that's that's one of those things. And as far as, do anybody have anything else on that? As far as, like I was thinking, pride, like uh, Dave was talking about, he's saying, if you are, prove it. You know, he's, he's coming at him, prove it. If you really are, prove it. And that's that's a thing where it, it appeals to your pride, right? You're like, well, I'll prove it then, fine. 
I had a guy, I used to work in a warehouse, and had a guy, I forget how he came up, we were just talking and loading trucks, and I was a skinny guy, about 115 pounds, and uh, I guess we were talking about lifting stuff up and putting it in the truck, and I said, well, I could pick up all those boxes right there, it's just 200 pounds, and he said, oh, you can't pick that up. Well, I did, I picked it up, I proved him, because... There, there was the dare, right? It's like, oh, you can't do that. I think I can. So I picked them up, and one of them was called to the float, and I picked that up a little bit too, but it came loose. But I picked all four of those boxes up and put them in the truck. Now, I couldn't do that today, I'm sure. I was like 18, 17, who knows. But um, that was just one of those things. It appealed to your pride. You know you are. You know you can do it. But that doesn't mean you have to prove it all the time, right? So, it's another thing. Um, it's also taken... Did you have something, Maddie? No, I didn't hear oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. So, um, it also has to do with trusting God. It's like, don't trust God. Don't wait for God. Make it yourself. Go ahead. So, you know, there's this temptation there. Go ahead and do that. Do that for yourself. So what verse is Jesus quoting here when he tells him that man does not live by bread alone? Oh, I'm sorry, man. Deuteronomy 8.3. Deuteronomy 8.3, right? And if you read this whole thing, you get a good context for this. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So when we are humble, we follow God's plan and not our own, and we listen to the Lord. So, oh, I'm sorry, man. Back to you, the point you were making about 40 days earlier, and I was pointing out the, the wilderness wanderings for 40 40 years. Or yes, whatever. 40 years, um, yeah. Of course, we just quoted, Jesus just quoted from Deuteronomy in that same context, and really all three of the things he quotes from, from Deuteronomy. So yes. bring that into focus. He's making us think about the wilderness wanderings and how he's not, he's succeeding where they fail. Right, he's succeeding where they fail. He's quoting from the law, Deuteronomy. So he's quoting from these, these laws here. So, Another thing that this example, or maybe I should just ask, um, so what What does maybe all these examples stress to us in a way? It's kind of a vague question, I'm sorry. So you could have a different answer, and it's okay. Yes, Rachel? God's going to supply our need. Right, God's going to supply our need, yes, definitely. Right? That's definitely a good point. Um I was thinking of the importance of God's word, right? He replied everything, you know, with it is written, right? The Bible in our lives, um, our life, anything good or of value in our life only comes from God and his word. So if we do not feed on God's word, then we will be weak and starving and our soul will be at risk in a very spiritual way, I'm thinking of. So, yes. Jesus used the sword of the spirit, the word of God, as a weapon, it is the only weapon effective against Satan. Right. The Word of God is the only real effective uh, weapon against Satan, the sword of the Spirit. Right. Yes. He shows us the example of how to handle. And, and he is. He's get, again, he's given us the example of how to handle our tests, our trials, our temptations. 
these things again. Um, so there's also another temptation here that Jesus could, because he could make bread, right? He could have made bread out of those stones. He could easily do that. He could just make food or make bread all the time for everyone, right? And basically, he could bribe people with that kind of a miracle to get them to follow him, right? We see this come up as an issue in John chapter 6, where the people are following Jesus for food. And that's the wrong reason to follow him, and he tells them that. But here, this is another temptation of misuse of power. Uh, and the temptation of that would appear to be out of love, like he wants to feed his people out of love for his people, but in the end, it would not lead the people to salvation, because food will not lead you to salvation. Just as God's manna did not lead those people to salvation in the wilderness, they still died. That whole generation died in the wilderness. So bread alone is not going to do it. It's got to be the word of God. That's what's going to do it for us. Well, on top of that, they complained that they didn't like the bread. Well, they did. And we would. You know we yeah. would. They complained that they did not like the manna. They, they, they ended up calling it horrible and stuff. They, they were really mean about it, I thought. But uh, that's the way it is. Does anybody have anything else before we close this morning? All right. So I want to thank you all for your time and your participation. Really appreciate it.